replacement through opposites. Another, a good way to start with the meta practice is uh, because a lot of people, modern people, tend to be very judgmental of their own efforts. And they also tend to be a little bit impatient. So they want very good results quite quickly. Put forth some effort, the good results don't come quite as fast as, as they would like. And then they start judging themselves and judging the effort. And it, it's an it's a understandable habit, it's a normal habit, it's very common, but it doesn't help the situation. So it's good to recognize that uh, too much fault finding isn't helpful. And what is helpful, and I think a lot of practitioners tend to step over it because it seems too simple, or I think maybe a bit like self-indulgent. You're trying to realize not self, so you don't want to indulge this self. But I think we have to be honest that the, the critical thoughts we have or the feelings of irritation, the feelings of frustration, there's a feeling of a self there anyway, right? A self that's experiencing some hindrances. So what, what, what we do when we cultivate the Brahma-Viharas in the beginning stages is you're cultivating a wholesome sense of self. And uh, Tanajana Nun sometimes uses, has, has said, we try to maintain the mind in the state of a deva. So you have being a day, we're aiming for a deva-like state of mind because that is the suitable foundation <clears throat> for insight and for samadhi. So Lord, Lord Buddha says in the 11 benefits of loving kindness sutta that people who cultivate loving kindness, their minds concentrate easily. And a lot of people will be sitting there thinking, why isn't my mind concentrating? Why isn't my mind concentrating? And it's like, well, of course, some people's minds will be concentrating and many of you will be having a mind that concentrates for periods of time as experienced meditators. But it's good, it is good to at least uh, point to the fact that Lord Buddha said in that sutta, one who cultivates loving kindness, their mind gathers into peacefulness easily. So it's not, it's not yet most people's experience that their mind gathers, gathers into peacefulness easily. So when we have Lord Buddha's direct encouragement, then it's good to embrace it uh, sincerely. And a good place to start is with the feeling of, or the experience of dukkha. So if there is some feeling of frustration, uh, impatience, or just challenges, or it, things being harder than you thought, having a look at the felt experience of that in the area of the heart, what does that feel like? What does it feel like to be an unenlightened being that wants to be enlightened? What does that feel like? Okay, for all beings that are not yet established in liberation, there is these kilesas of greed, hatred, delusion, the three root kilesas, and it's oppressive to the heart. So we just have a look at how does it feel to have a mind which is affected by these hindrances? How does it feel to have a mind which still has greed and hatred, still affected by delusion? And we can usually see that it hurts. There's some pain in there. And this is, this is an important thing. One shouldn't uh, rush over the acknowledgement of this because the first noble truth there is unsatisfactoriness, there is suffering. Lord Buddha explains that this is to be known. So you have a good look at it. What does it feel like to be a being that still has some suffering? 
Okay. The reason we have to know it is because in having a good look at the experience of unsatisfactoriness, we also will tend to see what's causing it. Usually some kind of grasping, craving for, craving not for. And then we have the second noble truth. Cause of suffering, three types of craving. Bhavatanha, vibhavatanha. Kamatanha, bhavatanha, vibhavatanha. And then we have the fact that the mind can be purified and liberated from that experience, cessation, nirodha. And then we have the path, how we cultivate it. So we have Lord Buddha's encouragement to know and to acknowledge the experience of frustration, unsatisfactoriness, suffering. Then in terms of cultivating the path, what do we do with that experience when just being mindful of it doesn't seem to make it dissipate? This is when we respond skillfully. And Lord Buddha is saying that loving kindness of the Brahma Viharas is a skillful way to develop our minds. So when you're on meditation retreat and you come and there's some hindrances and there might be a bit stubborn or there's some sleepiness or whatever it is, pain in the body, you just look at that and, and you offer an energy of kindness. Oh, look at just as you would offer an energy of kindness to your friends, your close friends, or your close relatives, people you care for, you offer that very same attitude, that gently smiling, encouraging, not judging, uh, being a supportive friend. So you want to offer that energy to your body and mind and your practice. And we do this in conjunction with the breath. So we can do anapanasati, mindfulness of in and out breathing, with the butto, breathing in put breathing out, though, reminding ourselves to cultivate uh, wakefulness, clarity. But we can also then cultivate the Brahma Viharas with the breath as well, and breathing in, may I be well, breathing out, may I be happy. The thing is, the words are just there to remind you that you're trying to do metta. But what you're really trying to do is you're trying to open the heart with tenderness, with friendliness, you're being your own Kalyanamitta, a wise spiritual friend who, who wishes yourself well. And so maybe we can just do that for a couple of minutes, with closing your eyes, breathing in, into the heart area. May I be well. Breathing out. May I be happy. I try to emphasize that uh, in the first few minutes of loving kindness practice, we focus upon loving acceptance rather than trying to aim anything different to what's in the experience. You just allow the experience exactly as it is, because this is, this is an aspect of metta, not judging, being kind. So even though you're saying, breathing in, may I be well, breathing out, may I be happy, you're just allowing things to be as they are, with no judgments. And then after we do that for a few breaths or a few minutes, we try to add a warm feeling of loving friendliness, breathing in, may I be well, give rise to a warm loving feeling in the heart area. Breathing out, may I be happy. And you allow that warmth of human kindness permeate the chest area. Breathing in, 
allowing the experience just as it is, wishing yourself well, breathing out the warmth of loving kindness, filling the heart and chest. May I be happy. When I was at Wat Mapjan many years ago, my second pansa, I was uh, struggling a bit. On one level, it's very inspired. He was a wonderful teacher and felt very grateful to have a lot of time to practice. On another level, in those days, hardly anybody spoke any English and I was uh, a bit lonely. And also, not, perhaps not so much lonely, but feeling like just, it's frustrating not to be able to communicate, not to be able to have a conversation with, and uh, so frustration. And then not understanding the culture perfectly, not being able to have a discussion with people about, to try to understand it. And so there were, there were some difficult periods. Tanajana, he, he told me, I think I told the story last time, I'll tell it in brief this time. It was chore times and I, I got very frustrated and I because uh, couldn't understand that different cloths had different names on it. There was a cloth for the floor and a cloth for the tables and benches and a cloth for the Buddha and a cloth for the, all these different things. And it was written in Thai and um, I couldn't understand it. And the Thai monks got fed up with telling me, having to tell me every day what cloth was for what thing. And, I, and it was going on for a long time. And I got into a bit of a huff and I... I thought, okay, I don't want to have a cup of tea today. In the old days, we used to have a cup of tea together at 4.30. And uh, I was walking up the hill. And when I was walking up the hill, in those days, what, what I've done was much smaller. The boat wasn't built and the jetty wasn't built. And, uh, anyway, Adhananan was waiting in the middle of the road. And I, uh, it was just him there, interestingly enough. And I fell to my knees and I said, Lumpur. When will it ever get any better? And he, he looked at me and he says, not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> he looked at me and he says, in five years, it'll be a little bit better. <laughs> then that was the perfect teaching. It was also perfectly frustrating because I wanted to be enlightened by the end of the week or the, at the latest, the end of the month. And so Tanaja was saying, five years, little bit better <laughs> and I'm like uh, no wrong answer and then but then he says to me what what you're experiencing because the part of the frustration was that periods for periods of mine would get very peaceful and there were some special experiences I get very inspired so then keep up a high level of effort but then the mind would get brittle and feel too forced and then get grumpy and Tanajananan explained to me, he says, you're actually trying too hard. And it's like there's this bucket of water and there's this dirt and there's silt at the bottom of the water and you're hitting it with a stick. And when you hit it with a stick, it causes this mud and this silt to come up and it makes the water murky. He says, you, you, you have to stop trying so hard. But the thing is, the thing about trying that hard is it was getting some good results sometimes some nice samadhi, some nice visions, some interesting dreams, etc. But Tanajan said, what you need to do is 
practice loving kindness for the first five to 10 minutes of every meditation sit, especially for yourself first. And then interestingly enough, he said, then spread metta to your teachers. The reason I say interesting is because they didn't really need it. My teachers were established on the other shore. They had access to jhana samadhi on one in-breath, whatever. They didn't need my metta, struggling young monk. But you can see why it's like a tuning fork. You're trying to learn how to play an instrument. And so when you think of the teacher who you love, who has a lot of metta, your mind inclines to having more metta. The Dhammapada says the mind becomes like what it attends to. The mind becomes like what it thinks of. So you, you spread loving kindness to yourself. Then you think of your teachers, your favorite teachers, you, and you wholeheartedly, sincerely spread loving kindness to them. And then you spread a bit more loving kindness to yourself. And then you move on. You do have to move on from that stage, but you can't skip over that stage. It's absolutely fundamentally important that you have to have loving kindness in the middle of your mind-body phenomenon. If you don't have it there, how are you going to radiate it out to all beings or even a few beings? You have to be able to hold it in your heart. So you shouldn't think it's self-indulgent or vain. You should understand it as an absolute necessary stage that we all have to cultivate. From there, we train ourselves to include more beings for whom it's easy to have loving kindness for, larger numbers of beings for whom we might normally feel neutral towards. And then finally, for the difficult beings or beings that you might consider in the past to have been enemies or people who wished you harm. And then beyond that, all beings everywhere. So when you do that, when you learn to cultivate metta for this one conventional being in the middle of the experience, to many beings, to all beings in this world, to all beings in all worlds, what happens is your sense of self becomes much more subtle, much more wholesome, much more spacious. And then it's time to look at the in-breath and the out-breath and you find that the mind is already peaceful and contented and happy to be with the experience of breathing. So this is a, a truly, truly valuable practice in, in that it does make that contraction, that habitual contraction of liking and disliking, it expands it and uh, it makes it more spacious. It makes the mind more capable of reflecting. And then the other good news is it does produce vast amounts of merit. Lord Buddha in the suttas, he explains that there was one life where he spent, I think it was seven years, cultivating loving kindness, understanding that the Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva when he was practicing metta is a lot of metta. And when he says he cultivated it for seven years, he was probably in metta jhana a lot of that time. But he got reborn as Indra, king of the devas for many, many, many lives. And he says he knew of no condition more conducive to heavenly rebirth than the practice of loving kindness. So it's just another kind of affirming statement. This practice produces great merits. It makes the mind deva-like. And then uh, the deva, the, the happy and contented state, the mind is more happy to collect or focus on meditation objects. And that makes insight more possible when you do your body contemplation or your contemplation of death or see the body as elements, etc. 
or even if you, once you have a, a somewhat contented and peaceful mind, then you just really pay attention to the way feelings arise, stay for some time and cease, arise, stay for some time and cease. But we need a certain amount of settledness, a certain amount of spaciousness to be able to do that. And the meta practice really helps. So I had one monk friend, I won't mention his name, but uh, when he was a junior monk, he had so much aversion to another monk, he, he actually found himself thinking of killing the monk the good news is <laughs> you don't think that, do you? When you're putting food in the monk's bowls, you're not thinking this monk's thinking of killing another monk. But <laughs> when you put on a robe, you don't instantly become an arahant, right? It is a bit of a process. And so, you know, we all have bad days, particularly in the early years. But that monk recognized the power of anger and of hatred, and he, and he was really shocked. And so he made a concerted effort. Okay, I better cultivate metta, I need to. I had no idea the level of anger in my mind could be so, so hot and powerful. And he did cultivate metta and he's, he's found the results to be so uh, transformative that he now has a monastery and the word metta is in the name of the monastery, but I'm not gonna tell you the, the whole name because I'm, I'm not gonna out him <laughs> completely. <laughs> he's a friend of mine, so. Another practice I wanted to talk about today in particular, because it's an aspect of the metta practice, is the practice of forgiveness. So we, we practice materially giving, that's a dana, giving of uh, material things. We also practice giving of our time and talent sometimes, offering service. And Lord Buddha explains that a higher level of dana is the giving of fearlessness, the offering of fearlessness, abhaya dana. And so Lord Buddha says in the Dhammapada again, there are in the list of fools, there's a chapter on fools. He says there are two types of fools. One who does something wrong and doesn't ask for forgiveness. The other, when somebody did something wrong to them and asked forgiveness, doesn't give the person forgiveness. These two people are fools, say I, said the Buddha. That's an interesting thing to consider. What, what is occurring when we need to forgive? What has occurred, right? So according to conventional reality, there is skillful, there is unskillful. There's right, there's wrong. There is uh, pleasant behavior, admirable behavior, uh, praiseworthy behavior, and there's bad behavior. Nobody's saying that the forgiveness practice changes that. Conventional reality is conventional reality. But when somebody does something that hurts your feelings or is not in accordance with your preference of how, what you would have preferred to experience, there is some feeling of disappointment and then some feeling of anger. And then often, if we don't forgive, that becomes an experience of grudge holding. And so there's another list. I'll keep referring to these, uh, my favorite list of dhammas. One is the 16 upakilesa. What's an upakilesa? <clears throat> the main dark negative qualities that darken beings' minds. I won't go through all 16 of them, but I'll mention a few. Anger is one of them. Grudge is another. 
and another one is then wanting to take revenge. So this is this is a can be problematic if we don't have enough mindfulness to stop this process in the mind. Hurt, angry, holding a grudge, thinking of revenge. Three of the horrible negative dark qualities that darken and burden the mind. We don't want to make any more karma with these. So it's, it's really helpful that Lord Buddha explains to us, this is a negative quality. This darkens beings' minds. We want bright minds because we're practicing dana, sila, and bhavana, mental cultivation. We are in the process of purifying our minds. So once we know that a quality is dark, we try not to cultivate it. And this is where the practice of forgiveness is so helpful. And a lot of these practices are interrelated. People who are generous materially, able to give away a percentage of their things, nice things, give away some of their time, give away a percentage of their income. Often those people, when they come to meditate, they're able to give up hindrances in the mind more easily. And they're able to forgive people more easily as well. Because the mind has already been brightened to some degree through being generous, through having merit. So that, that brightness can then be applied. And, and also the mind knows the joy of relinquishment. So when you see the mind's experiencing a hindrance and you're, you want to let it go and you're able to by giving the attention to the meditation object in a consistent way, then the mind experiences the relief and the release of dropping the hindrances. Similarly, with when people hurt us or disappoint us, when we are able to forgive, there's a wonderful sense of lightness that comes from not holding the grudge. And it's, a, it's as we were saying, it's a light, bright, contented mind, which is more able to settle into collected states and, and more likely to experience insight. Of course, it's a training, just as the metta, which is just as all of our meditation practices are trainings. We, we have to start with small things first. So if you have some really, really big disappointment in your life, that's probably not the best. And, and some really, really terribly hurt feelings. That's possibly not the best place to start. But if you can think of some small things, some irritating things that when you notice the thought comes up, I'm still angry at that person. And then the mind will go into it because they did this and they shouldn't have that. Because they said this and they shouldn't have said this. They should have said that. Why did they say that? Blah, blah, blah the stuff that minds do. We recognize when there's anger, we recognize when there's a grudge and we practice in training in offering forgiveness. One very, very helpful thing that supports this is when we can believe in karma. So if we really believe in past lives and karma and most of you are practicing Buddhists so most of you do, <clears throat> then we understand that there are the real reason we're experiencing this feeling of disappointment or hurt is because we disappointed or hurt somebody before. If, if we can contemplate that, this is very helpful because it's very humbling. We can't just look at this moment in that we have a samsaric perspective. In conventional, right view, in conventional right view, there is the past lives, there is the present life, and there are future lives. There are stages of enlightenment and then ultimate enlightenment, Mahaparinibbana. There is... It's a gradual training, it's the gradual path. So this moment 
is being affected significantly by many, many, many previous lives. So this can be humbling. And when, when it comes to the really big disappointments, we don't judge ourselves. We don't, we don't use the belief in karma and rebirth to beat ourselves up. That's where the compassion comes in. We have compassion for the felt experience of the pain. We have compassion for the fact that the being that we were who caused other people to be disappointed, that person's mind was affected by negative qualities. <clears throat> Advanced training is when you actually have compassion for the person who hurt you because you recognize that their mind was oppressed by painful negative qualities. So you have compassion for the person who said unskillful things or did unskillful things or didn't do the appropriate thing. But the important thing is that we understand that we as good Buddhists should forgive because we understand the implications of karma. And the good news is that the act of giving produces great punya, it produces great merits. And it's very conducive to having a more glad and more contented mind. So in a, in a nine day retreat, there will be periods where memories come up and you will think of something that someone did. If you're, a, if you're a normal human being, you've had a few hurts in your life. And when you come to be by yourself and spend hours meditating, there will be some thoughts about things that mum said, things that dad said, things that dad didn't do, things that they did do that hurt, things that partners did, things that kids did, things that they said. <clears throat> We're all sensitive beings who have the experience of uh, having hurt feelings. And so we all have the opportunity to take that as our ground for cultivating the ability to forgive, the ability to be humbled by the power of karma and the ability to let go of painful reactions. We're, we're working in the, in the aversion and irritation spectrum of the three root lasers here. So in practicing forgiveness, you're weaken, weakening the tendency to anger and aversion. And the meta practice also weakens it because you're cultivating something else instead. And these practices support one another. And with, with uh, regards to the really big disappointments in life, you can, you can hold it in your awareness and you can say to yourself, I will forgive this because intention is very powerful. I will forgive this entirely. And like I said, it can be a gradual thing. It might take quite a lot of reflection. It might take quite a lot of meta practice. And you can even experiment. Like one thing I suggested in a recent talk was <clears throat> really big disappointment in life and uh, holding on to a grudge you can kind of have a conversation with that grudge and say, okay, I forgive this person 20%. I forgive them 20%. What, why 20%? It's like you've got, you've got a fist, right? Angry fist holding on. Okay, you, you release one finger. I'm holding onto this grudge with just my thumb and my three fingers now. I've, I've begun to let it go. I'm not holding onto it so tightly. And then you will, even in doing that, I think you will experience what it feels like to have a mind less oppressed with grudge and anger. And then uh, you set the intention, when I can, I will forgive this person, this experience completely, allow it to be in the past and allow it to be completely gone. And uh, 
like all trainings, it's a training, but it does give uh, great results in terms of feeling light, feeling bright. And when in part of Buddhist training is to practice dying before we die or preparing ourselves to have a peaceful death. And so clearing out various grudges is an important part of that. We don't want, <clears throat> it might feel really kind of uh, engaging, interesting to hold on to a grudge and go through all the reasons why someone should have done something that they didn't do or shouldn't have done the thing that they should have done it differently or why you're right and why they're wrong. But at the moment of death, you have to ask yourself, the moment that I'm dying, does this matter? And you can also ask yourself, if you died right now, where do you think you'll be born? Kind of like, I'm right, you're wrong, should have done this, should have done this. It's like dogs barking, isn't it? Or holding onto a bone, fighting over a bone. Nobody wants to be born as a barking dog fighting over a bone. We have to, give, we have to put some thought into this. Where do you want to go? If you have to be reborn, if, you're not, if your mind is not yet fully purified, you want to go somewhere surrounded by lovely beings who are Dhamma practitioners practicing metta, tolerance, and uh, forgiveness. Now, having said that, it's important to say that, that when you forgive, doesn't mean you have to forget. And if someone has proved to be not trustworthy, it doesn't mean you have to trust them. These are different matters. You know if somebody is a skillful or an unskillful person, <clears throat> you know if a situation is harmful or helpful, you have healthy boundaries. That's your meta practice for yourself and for the other person. Don't let them make bad karma unnecessarily. But the issue of trust and the issue of forgiveness are completely different. You can completely forgive somebody while still not trusting them. But you don't project onto them that they'll never be trustworthy. You understand that all conditions change. In the future, that person may become an Arahant, a Bodhisattva, a Buddha, a great teacher. They're currently manifesting in, in a form that isn't utterly trustworthy, but that might change. Another important part of forgiveness practice, of course, is forgiving oneself. So many people hold grudges against themselves. And this is, this is one area where the metta practice is very important. We all make mistakes. And sometimes, sometimes the, good, the really good people beat themselves up even more because we have high standards and we know, we know how well we want to do. We know what a, what a lovely being we want to be. We want to be enlightened. We want to be Buddha. You don't want to be a petty. And you don't want to be lazy. You don't want to break your promises to yourselves. But, but what happens when you do? I think it's really important to acknowledge that holding a grudge yourself against yourself isn't helping the situation. So we do have to wholeheartedly forgive our mistakes and humbly, <clears throat> humbly acknowledge greed, hatred, and delusion are powerful. Our habits are powerful, but we don't want to burden ourselves further with angry judgment and withholding of loving kindness. We acknowledge mistakes, we set the aspiration to do better and we start again and we drop the grudge and we drop the withholding of loving kindness and we really fill that heart and mind space with metta as a foundation to have it for more beings. The thing about really having a lot of loving kindness for yourself is that you are going to take care of your life and your practice because that's how true loving kindness should express itself. 
because I care, I'm going to do my meditation. Because I care, I'm not going to waste too much time on social media. Because I care, I'll do the retreat. Because I care for myself, I'll do, it. I'll do the pilgrimage. So we really need to get that metta powerful. And we really need it to be translating as a commitment to our practice and our disciplines. Sometimes in the, in the Mahayana tradition, they have these repentance pujas and uh, there's things that you can do. <clears throat> I have a good friend, Ajahn Yaniko, he's coming to Wat Maptan in a couple of days, I think, or maybe even today. And he's going to be doing 10,000 full-length prostrations in the Tibetan style in Bogaya next month. Part of it is to express his love, respect, gratitude to the Buddha. And part of it is a little bit of an acknowledgement that when we were practicing in Bogaya a few years ago, I sat for meditation for 3,000 hours under the Bodhi tree. I asked Ajahn Yaniko to please sit the, the last 1,000 of those 3,000 hours with me, which he did do. I was very grateful to have a friend. And we made these great pledges, like we were going to try to do sit, sitting four or five hours of meditation a day every day. And then, of course, we're not able to do that every day. So what do you do? It's a bit tricky. We have to make these aspirations to lift our game to do more. But then what happens when you don't keep your promise? And you've made the promise to the Buddha. So one of the things we can, you can't just say, okay, well, I forgive myself, but it's irritating. It impinges on consciousness. I really wish I kept that, <clears throat> kept it on many, many days, but not every day. And so one of the things you can do is you do some kind of gesture of repentance. Again, it's not self-flagellation. It's not whipping. It's just, it's just doing, it's not whipping your own back. It's just doing something, acknowledging, okay, I'm going to make a gesture of making up for it by doing something very sincerely for a period of time. And that can be a process of forgiving yourself and a process of uh, training oneself to, to make more effort and to keep one's commitments. So I've probably said enough. I think I did say that I was going to be willing to take a question or two. I do hope something that I said about loving kindness and forgiveness, weakening and uprooting dark qualities and training in establishing bright qualities of mind have been helpful to some of you. I rejoice in your practice and I hope you get great results in the present, future, in your path to liberation. May you be well, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering. Uh, Ajahn. Thank you very much. Very inspiring Dharma talk. Uh, do you have time to go a bit past 3 p.m.? Are you I in do. a rush? To... I do, I do. Okay. So yeah. we can maybe have a few questions if there's anyone who has any questions. Shinting, could you help to put one of these microphones next to that one? Yes. Whichever one makes it there. So if anyone does have any questions, they're welcome to come over here to where Sister Joyce is. Anyone? Right, right. Okay. We need to use both. Use both. Yeah.
Because that one comes through zero, and this one goes through. Uh, uh, John, uh, good afternoon. Yeah, Ajahn, uh, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for your inspiring speech. Uh, this is the second time I met you. And the last time it was in August last year. Um, yeah. Uh, when you teach about the, the, the meta, uh, I just want to know how far should we go? Is it like we keep repeating this meta, keep reading, reading out the meta to ourselves, to our relatives, to the teachers, to the beings, to the relative uh, disease as well, and then keep repeating until we achieve the concentration or is it, what, what should yeah. we do? I mean, the steps. Yes, good question. So it starts as thoughts as intent and intentions. It becomes a pleasant mind state. And at a certain point, if we're doing it correctly, loving kindness becomes the actual object in the mind as a form of samadhi. And so, and that's very wholesome. So you, you do it, and in, in my experience, it, you do it for a while, and then there might just, there may be this feeling of there is metta present in the mind and the mind is radiating metta, and you, you just allow that to occur. And then it might happen that that feeling of metta in the mind diminishes a little, and some distracted thinking begins to come back, and you can pick it up again and, and go further. So, so you, you establish metta in the mind, radiating metta, and then the words fall away. So if you can do it to that point where, where the loving kindness is the object of the mind and uh, there's just metta, not much of a feeling of self or others, that's very good practice. And, uh, but the, the setting the intention and doing the practice will take the mind to that, to that space. And then for many people, it'll come down again, more ordinary, and, you just, and then you can go teachers, loved ones, neutral beings, again, take it a bit further. Yeah. At least that, that's how it works for me. Someone on the live stream had a question. Uh, not sure if you can take that. Can write a, you can write your question in the chat if you like. That's not working. Please write your question. Write your question in the chat box. Dr. Rasana, nice to see you. Nice to see you again. <laughs> I don't know, I have got one question. Yes. I know I, I hear always about metta and loving kindness. My question is, um, when your mind is not pure, how effective is that loving kindness to others? Yeah. And how much yeah. you have to be pure when you spread loving kindness? Because I myself believe 
about spreading loving kindness. Sometimes I wonder whether or not, you know, it really reaches there. Thank you very much. So it is, it's always a matter of degrees. And so when we come to sit at the cushion and we've, if we've had a busy day, if there's, if there's quite a few hindrances around and we, we have our first few thoughts of metta, there's not going to be that much metta there, right? That's normal. That's the starting space. But uh, one thing Lumpur Liam sometimes says, which I really like this quote, purity is born from impurity. It's uh, the Bodhisattva that became the Buddha before he was a Bodhisattva was an ordinary being with all of the lasers that we have, maybe even more. Way, 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 way back when. And so we, we start where we start. But if, if a, even setting the intention to, to genuinely cultivate loving kindness is already creating merit and is already laying new habits. And you can kind of feel, like, I don't know what your, what your experience is, but if you're sincere and if you really try to do metta for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes after, after that, you know, <clears throat> some point into it, you can feel there is more metta than there was, right? You can feel there's definitely something happening. There's some positive, positive uh, and then you, you just do it to the best of your ability. But I do, I have heard many people uh, telling me stories of when they were cultivating metta and, and their relatives did feel it and their friends did feel it. And so I do believe it's, uh, I do believe it's effective at least in moments. And, uh, we start where we start and we keep going. Eventually it becomes very truly profound. Good afternoon, Ajahn. Uh, this is my second time to meet you in uh, via Zoom. The first time I met you is on, in August as well, in person. I think we have uh, more or less difficulty to create loving kindness. When, when, for myself, when I meet the difficult persons, I mean, uh, very close to me, some of my relatives, even in my family, who try to, to discourage you, to make you angry, they, they are difficult persons, untouchable. How you can create loving kindness, even you have your, your genuine intention to, to, to have me and to, to not, because when you have uh, your family conflict, it's, it's good for nobody. It hurts yes. us, it hurts the family. Yes. Thank you. I think it's a difficult practice, but I think it's certainly possible. We have to train ourselves to look past appearances. You know, looking at a person's face and looking at their body and kind of looking in their heart area. And we remind ourselves that this person has the potential to be an arahant, a bodhisattva, a Buddha. And we try to focus on that. Like when I, when I see His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I've had the good fortune of attending his teachings, I think, more than 15 times. And whenever he comes into a, a crowd, he just smiles at everybody with the same smile. And what the reason I think he's able to smile at everybody with the same equal loving kindness and compassion is because he's seeing what he would call their Buddha potential or their Buddha nature. And that's what he's smiling at. 
and and so we 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 need to sometimes train in like I was saying before, some awareness of past life, some awareness of future lives, awareness that it's a gradual training, but also an awareness that all beings have enlightenment potential. No being is solidly, permanently dark. That's something that is uh, obscuring them in that moment. One of the things I attended the Dalai Lama's teachings in Bodh Gaya in December just recently, and he said, one of the things he said during his teachings was, when a person is very affected by negativity, he instantly has more compassion for them because he sees that they're suffering more. And so this is this thing about training and recollecting your potential, others' potential, training and having compassion, seeing that a negative person is suffering in that moment. But the tendency tends to be like what they're saying and how that makes me feel. When we cultivate more metta, we understand that when they're saying the negative things to us in that moment, they themselves are suffering. And we try to have compassion for that. So we have to train ourselves to keep expanding consciousness, keep expanding our view, to be less contracted. And yes, it is difficult. But when we, <clears throat> when we do the work on the sitting cushion and we train, like Ajahn Anand said, yourself first, then your teachers, those for who it's easy to have loving kindness for, and then we move on to the more difficult ones. But if you've trained in being able to establish and then radiate loving kindness, then it does become possible. At the very least, when you're in their presence, if you have an experience of suffering, these difficult people, you radiate loving kindness to yourself through that experience. They don't, nobody needs to know. You're sitting there and you're just saying, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be well, may I be happy. And you don't argue with them. If they're saying something unskillful and you're aware that if I, if I get into a discussion, it's going to be contentious, you just don't do it. Noble silence, smile. Breathing in, may I be well. Breathing out, may I be happy. This too will pass. This too will pass. So there's various things we can do. Sometimes we have to have discussions. Sometimes we have to have some conflict. But we do our best. I do, I do believe that uh, doing the minutes and the hours on the sitting cushions, it does. We do bring it more and more into our life if we're consistent with it. So the meta muscles get stronger and the ability to not react becomes more normal. Ajahn, we have some question from online. Would you like us to reach it to you? Now? Yep, go for it. Christine Lim. <laughs> Hello, Prajan. Question one from online. How can one know if one has truly, sincerely forgiven ourselves? Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think a feeling of uh, light, bright, empty spaciousness instead of a feeling of a contracted feeling of grudge. Should, you should be able to feel. And the thing about forgiving oneself is it's a process. So you'll forgive yourself and then it'll come back again. And you have to remind yourself, oh yeah, I forgave myself. And you, you forgive yourself again. It's a training. Our, our old habits will get triggered and our old reactions will get triggered. 
and, and it's, it's training in mindfulness and clear comprehension and the ability to let go. Is that, okay, that grudge has come up again. Okay, I'm letting it go again. Forgive myself. Keep, keep, pra keep practicing in it. Keep doing it moment by moment. But overall, you, you should feel a lighter and brighter, less oppressed heart the more you practice forgiveness. There's one of those stories of the, when the Bodhisattva was in the, I think he was in the deer park many, many, many lives ago. And a king was upset to find him there. And he had his, one of his chief ministers chop off a leg, chop off another leg, chop off an arm, chop off the other arm, chop off an ear, chop off another ear, chop off a nose. <clears throat> and he didn't, he didn't give rise to anger. So the, the potential to forgive in the human mind is extraordinary. But we do have to cultivate it. Ajahn, we have another four questions. Um, okay. Yeah, question two. Can Ajahn please elaborate more on using gesture to forgive ourselves? The last part of your Dhamma talk today. Thank you very much. Using gestures? What is it? To forgive ourselves. Well, I think just reflecting, just reflecting on the fact that holding on to a grudge against yourself doesn't help the situation. You don't, you don't make a negative situation more positive by adding more negativity to it. it we, we, just need to, we just need to apply the logic, the mindfulness and clear comprehension. Yeah, we made a mistake or yeah, we're disappointed with ourselves. And adding judgment, heavy judgment, aversion to this doesn't help the situation. Go and chant the Anatalakana Sutta, right? Make the sense of self less contracted and... Uh, the eyes are not self, the ears are not self, the nose are not self, the body is not self, the thoughts are not self, it's all not self. It's okay. Make it a bit more spacious. We understand that wisdom perspective and then don't make it a self by holding on to a grudge against it. Don't affirm that it is a, is a self that you need to aim anger towards. Contemplate the fact that ultimately it's not self. Contemplate that a negative mind state added to a negative mind state doesn't help the situation. It isn't purifying the mind. And uh, it's a process. Like, you know, it might be the same. Okay, I'll forgive myself 10%. Next month, I'll forgive myself 20 more percent. And, uh, you know, keep working on it. You have to, sometimes you have to wrestle with it a bit, get in there and wrestle, get a bit determined, have a firm, have a firm talk with yourself. Look, you. You are going to have loving kindness and you are going to forgive yourself completely. <laughs> Tough love. Thank you, Prajan. Prajan, question three. Hello, Ajahn. I have a question about generating metta for our teachers. May we include teachers who have passed away and celestial bodhisattva and Buddha? Yes. Thank you. Yes. The Buddha says, the Buddha says that he, his teaching is not nihilism, that beings who attain to Nibbana and are established in Nibbana, they didn't, they didn't become nothing. So you, can, you can still radiate loving kindness to these examples of liberated beings and well-practicing beings. And it, yes, it's a very good thing to do. A, a very consciousness expanding. It's like, it's like, combining metta with Buddha Nusati and Deva Nusati and Sangha Nusati. And it's like recollecting the qualities of the Buddha 
and the Dharma and the Sangha at the same time. A lot of these practices have some crossover, but it is, it's a good thing to do to get the metta really flowing, but then we do have to include the neutral beings and the difficult beings as well. Thank it's you. Very, it's very easy to have metta for a being with boundless metta. <laughs> but it's a, it's a good practice though. Thank you, Ajahn. Ajahn question for Sadhu Ajahn. Is it okay to do metta bhavana a little while and do anapanasati for about 45 to 40 to 45 minutes and then finish with Buddha Nusati Bhavana? Yes. I would like to do Buddha Nusati Bhavana and Metta Bhavana along with Anapanasati. How should I do it? Thank That's, you. That sounds fine. That sounds fine to me. Do the Metta practice, make the mind glad. Do the Anapanasati practice, make the mind peaceful. Incline the mind to peacefulness and then really recollect those qualities of Buddha deepening your faith, deepening your sense of refuge. All sounds good to me. Satu. Uh, thank you. Then I have a last question here. Yeah. Um, I feel angry with myself when I don't have enough time to cultivate. Example, sitting or attending Dhamma talks. I know that my current role is a wife and mother, but attending Dhamma talks is uh, respect care for myself. This yeah. is unwholesome. How can I overcome this? Ajahn and balance about, uh, between these two. Thank you. Yeah, it is difficult. I empathize. And yet, a tough love time, okay? Tough love, but this, this person wants some tough love, so. We all waste time, we all do. So when you look at your day, if you can't attend, if you can't attend the talk as it's occurring, you can often attend the recorded talk a little while afterwards. We need to look at how much time is spent on media, how much time is spent on social, uh, social media, how much time is spent in front of the TV, watching DVDs, playing computer games, whatever it is. I know mums and wives cooking, shopping, there's a lot of other stuff happening, but in general, there will be a period of time in most days where you might just call it relaxing. It's true, we're relaxing, but uh, there may be a, a time that could be better spent chanting and meditating or listening to that Dhamma talk that, that you weren't able to attend live. And most of us, if we're truthful, we'll find that uh, we're wasting some time. Oftentimes it may be the case that forcing yourself to go to bed earlier can be very helpful. And then getting up earlier before the kids wake up, before the husband wakes up. Just make sure you get to bed earlier, get up earlier, have your chanting and have your meditation before you have to start preparing meals and things like that. There usually is a way if we have enough ruthless determination or loving kindness inspired determination that's the focus of today's talk <laughs> yes otherwise they won't forgive me for making them sit on the floor for too long <laughs> <laughs> 